1940, there was a man by the name of Irving Berlin who penned a song entitled, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. Little did he know how popular and how well-known that song would become. The first public performance of that song was on Christmas Day 1941 by a man named Bing Crosby. It was on his NBC radio show that day, Craft Music Hall, that he performed, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. A year later, in 1942, Bing Crosby would record and would release that single, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. And according to the Guinness Book of World Records, I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas is the best-selling single of all time, with sales in excess of 100 million records worldwide. In 1942 alone, it was on the Billboard charts, on top of the Billboard charts for 11 straight weeks. You know it. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, just like the ones I used to know, where the treetops glisten and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card I write. May your days be merry and bright, and may all your Christmases be white. I would like to submit to you this morning that I am not nearly as interested in a white Christmas as I am a right Christmas. I'm not dreaming of a white Christmas, and though all of us would probably like to have a white Christmas maybe once in our lifetime. I'm dreaming of a right Christmas. And just permit me for the next few moments to tell you what I believe a right Christmas involves. I believe that as we look at the Christmas story, Recorded in Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2, and then in Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, we get, we get some different accounts of the Christmas story. But I believe in looking at those accounts from Matthew and from Dr. Luke, it reveals to us what a right Christmas involves. Number one, a right Christmas involves making room for Jesus. Now, I don't want to bust any Christmas bubbles today, but you do know that the nativity scene that we view with such appreciation and affirmation is not biblical. The nativity scene was done by a church group based on some artwork that they had seen. The wise men were not there at the first birth of Christ. If you follow the story and read the Bible, he was more likely about two years old when they showed up. Was there, the Bible doesn't, and I'm not trying to be difficult today, but just some study that I've done, the Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus was born in a stable. 
The Bible doesn't even tell us that there were cattle there. But here's what we do know. Luke 2 and 7 tells us that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and placed in a manger, a feeding trough for animals because there was no room for them in the inn. That inn doesn't necessarily mean a hotel like we think. It doesn't necessarily mean there was an innkeeper. Now watch this. Because Joseph and Mary had been ordered by the governor to go because of a census that needed to be ta- had to be taken back to their hometown there in Bethlehem. And more than likely, uh, they went to a relative's home to stay with them. And when they got there, it's possible that that house was overcrowded and they were relegated to a lower room somewhere in that house. And in that lower room, they would bring animals in to get them out of the cold at nighttime. They would sprinkle straw down there for those animals to eat. So it's very possible that Jesus may not have been born in a stable, but was born in a, in a lower room of a house with animals present that night. Now, I don't know exactly where he was born. I don't know if there was an innkeeper or not, but here's what I do know. When Mary and Joseph showed up that night, there was no room for them in a place of comfort. And they were relegated to a place because there was no room for them or for baby Jesus. Was there an innkeeper? I don't know, but if you'd like for me to preach it from that vantage point, I will do that and tell you that if there indeed was an innkeeper, he relegated the king of kings and the lord of lords to a place where there were animals that were feeding. He was placed in a feeding trough because there was no room. If there indeed was an innkeeper, his inn was overcrowded and there was too, much, too many people there for him to make room for the Christ. And I'm afraid... That if we're not careful, we will crowd Christ out of our hearts with all the other stuff in our lives. And if that is the case, listen, if you're here this morning, you have crowded Christ out and you've relegated him to a place that is not the center of your heart, it might be time for you to serve a divine eviction notice to those things in your heart and tell him, I'm making room for you, not just because it's Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, but every single day I'm making room for you in my heart because the Bible tells us he still stands at the door and he knocks, and if we will open up, he will come in and he will fellowship with with us and we can fellowship with him. A right Christmas involves making room for Christ in our overcrowded hearts. Number two, a right Christmas involves worship. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 2 that the wise men followed a star one night that stood over the house where the young child was, the Bible said. Historians and theologians tell us, and if you study it out, the wording of the Bible and even the study of commentaries tells us that Jesus was probably about two years old, somewhere between 18 and 24 months old. And when the wise men got there that night, according to Matthew 2 and 11, when they came to the house and they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, the Bible says they fell down and worshipped 
him. I like what one version says. It said it like this. They were overcome when they came in the house and they kneeled down where he was and they worshiped him. There's no doubt in my mind that when the wise men came that night, they gave true worship to that Christ child. There's no doubt in my mind when the shepherds showed up one night at the very early stages of his birth that they worshiped him that night. That word worship there speaks of adoration. That word worship there speaks of reverence. I like what one man said. He said that worship is the art of hanging out with God. When the wise men got Got there that night, they hung out with God in the flesh. When the shepherds got there one night, they hung out with God in the flesh. And I'm telling you that this Christmas season, don't you miss the moment that God presents to you to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear this preacher this morning that worshiping Christ is not about a specific day or a season, but we worship Him in spirit and we worship Him in truth every single single day of the week. We were created to worship Him. We were created to praise Him. We were created to adore Him. And I don't know about you, but there's something in my heart that just wells up on the inside of me. And I can't help but to extend my hands and throw my head back and open up my mouth and give worship and praise and glory unto Jesus Christ, our King and our Lord. Could we do that today? Let's worship and praise the Lord this morning. I came across a story some time ago. This man was facing major cancer surgery. He was at a major cancer clinic in America. And it just so happened that the cancer had, had infected his tongue. And the result of the operation and the surgery was going to force the doctor to take most of that man's tongue in order to save his life. Right before putting him under, the doctor looked at the man and said to him, you do realize that when this surgery is over, you'll probably never have an opportunity to speak again because of the cancer that's in your tongue. Is there anything that you would like to say before we take you into surgery? That man looked at that doctor and said, yes, as a matter of fact, there is. I'd like to say one thing before I go under. Praise be to Jesus Christ for all eternity. And the last words that came out of that man's mouth were praise and worship unto God. I think it would serve us well, not just today and not just tomorrow, but when January rolls around in February and March and April, that we'll find moments every single day of our lives to lift up our hands, open up our mouth, and give praise and glory and honor unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on and praise Him this morning. Would you do that? Hallelujah! Number three, a right Christmas involves making room for Jesus. A right Christmas involves worship. A right Christmas involves the grace of giving. You know when the wise men came that night? The Bible says they opened up their treasures. Now listen, these wise men, they were magi. That's what the Bible calls them. And they were affluent, well-to-do, wealthy, wealthy men. And the Bible says when they came in and they fell down on their knees and they worshiped the Christ, they opened up their treasures 
and they gave to him gifts. Gifts of gold, gifts of frankincense, and gifts of myrrh. Little did those wise men know that the gifts they were giving were prophetic in nature. You see, gold is a gift that you would give to kings. And according to Revelation, the Bible tells us that he fulfilled the office of a king. Because when he comes back, the Bible says that on his robe and on his thigh, Brother Gene Turpin, there will be a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. They gave him a gift of gold prophesying that he would indeed fulfill the office of a king. But they gave him another gift that day. They gave him the gift of frankincense. And that was a gift that was usually given to a priest. And when a priest would go into the Holy of Holies, he would offer incense and would burn it to God as a sign of intercession for the people. Jesus indeed fulfilled the office of a priest because the writer of Hebrews would say to us in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, for we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we were yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Those wise men opened up their treasure and they gave him a gift of gold and they gave him a gift of frankincense, but then they gave him a gift of myrrh. Myrrh was a gift that you would give to a martyred prophet. Myrrh was a gift that that, uh, was something that would be used to anoint the body of someone and to prepare them for burial. There is no doubt that Jesus fulfilled the office of a martyred prophet when they stretched him wide and they hung him high and they crucified him and left him on a cross to die. And as he hung on that cross with blood trickling down his brow because of a crown of thorns and blood coming out of his hands and his feet, he cradled his bearded chin up on his chest and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He cried, it is finished. And he gave up the ghost, the Bible says, and he drew his last breath and he died a substitutionary death so that you and I could live forever. But I've got some good news on Christmas Eve morning for this body today to tell you that they took him off of a cross. They placed him in a borrowed tomb. But I want you to know that the grave could not keep him and death could not hold him down. On that third day, resurrection power invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and Jesus Christ got up victorious over death, over hell and over the grave and because he died and because he lives, you and I can live forever. Thank God for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the price that he paid. Come on and praise the Lord today. Hallelujah. He came as a baby. He lived as a man. He suffered on the cross as a Savior. But I'm telling somebody, he is coming back again. And we will rule and we will reign with him forever. Oh, praise him if you're glad about that today. And I promised myself I wasn't going to preach like this. I'm trying to be dignified on Christmas Eve. But I'm telling you, when Jesus came, he died a death so you and I could live forever.
It's five after 12. I told you 60 minutes. I'm sorry. Lord, I told a story. Forgive me. Give me to 1215. You can go home. I've always found it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is permission. None of you kids take that at heart. Don't you dare try that. It doesn't work at home. And you know the grace of giving didn't start with wise men. Grace of giving didn't start with wise men. The grace of giving didn't start on a Christmas morning with neatly packaged gifts. The grace of giving started when God gave us Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the grace of giving. I'm glad for Jesus today. I said last Sunday, I'm glad that the baby came in the manger, but if we're not careful, we'll stop at the manger and stay at the manger, but there's so much more than just the baby in the manger. Here's the last thing a right Christmas involves. It involves making room for Jesus. It involves worship. It involves the grace of giving. And it involves telling others about Jesus. You know what the Bible says to us in Luke 2, 17? That when the shepherds left there, they made widely known Everything that had been spoken about that child. No doubt that the wise men and the shepherds, the shepherds made widely known. They told everybody they could tell about the, the wonderful birth of the Christ. There's no doubt the wise men told everybody they could tell about the birth of Jesus Christ. Listen, we must tell others about the goodness of Jesus Christ. The greatest gift we could give anybody, not just today or tomorrow, Brother Kenny Hancock, but all year long, the greatest gift we could give anybody is the gift of what Jesus has done in our lives. I close with this story. The story is told of, a, of an old man whose son was a senator. And he was having the ambassador Belgium over to his house for a dinner party. The son's father was a devout Christian, loved the Lord and loved to tell everybody he could about Jesus. And the son had warned his father, now dad, listen, when the ambassador gets here, please do not go into one of your speeches and one of your stories about Jesus Christ. I don't want you to embarrass me, so please don't do that. The ambassador got there and they're around the table and the old man just couldn't help himself. And he started telling the ambassador all about Jesus Christ. Years later, the old man would die. And as the son was up in the front of the sanctuary where the funeral was going to take place, he was reading all the flowers, looking at all the flowers and reading the cards, and he noticed there was a flower arrangement, and the card was signed from the ambassador of Belgium. Here's what the card said. To the only man in America who ever told me about Jesus Christ. What a tragedy it would be to let this season slip by while probably today and even maybe tomorrow you'll be surrounded by family and even friends that may not know about Christ. What an opportunity 
it would be if the Lord would just open the door a little bit for us to tell somebody about the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. The greatest gift that we ever received was the gift of Jesus Christ and His grace. And the greatest gift we can ever give is the gift of Christ to somebody that does not know Him. Thank you.